If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be unsettlingly fishy, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to where in the aquatic hell do Kuatoa come from? And what tweaks could explain their strange behavior? And how can we make them extra nasty with some deep sea inspirations? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. We're coming back strong with deep sea fishy grossness. Yeah, what a strange episode to start the year with, you might be asking. And in response, I say, I don't know what else to start it with. <laughs> as good as anything, I guess. <laughs> well, the holidays uh, could have been a nice bit of downtime, but we didn't spend a ton down. We, we kept working on some other fun projects that you'll start to hear about in the coming months. Yes. But it is really nice to be back. And thank you for coming back and listening to this very first episode of the year. I think we usually have some like trepidation over taking some kind of major break. Yeah. Because we're like, will people forget about us? Oh, yeah. You'll move on. There's 8 million podcasts coming out every day. (laughs) They know how many millions of podcasts could easily, you know, entice with their siren song. But you didn't. You stuck around. You're back. Thank you. So today we're talking about Kuatoa, the deep ones. At least influenced by them. You know, Lovecraft's work. It's been through a lot of revisions since then, but they were originally featured in Shadow Over Innsmouth. You get the sense that Gary read a lot of Lovecraft. Oh yeah. Like that's where a lot of, you know, the monster manual even comes from. Anything with tentacles, this is probably (laughs) coming from Lovecraft at this point. Like, we can't avoid talking about Lovecraft on this podcast if we're going to talk about the monsters. So when looking at these slippery little water weasels, Travis, (laughs) what are your first impressions? Well, here's the thing, is that flipping through the 5e monster manual, one might be forgiven for continuing on past because they look like a feeble roundhouse could very easily level one of them. Like kicking some kind of annoying child. You kind of want to, but you'd feel really bad doing so because they can't really take it or defend themselves. They just kind of like slap down after a good punt. Yeah, they don't have the musculature to, you know, hold their own in a fight based on their, you know, art. And and nor should they because their art looks very happy. He looks like a pleasant (laughs) fellow. All of this does not add up to what you're going to come away from this episode with. And that's why we keep flipping past them. I I see Kuatoa and I go, "Eh, it's not really my vibe right now. And honestly, I think one of the issues with that is that I get it. They got to draw one monster to represent the monster stat block. But the Kuatoa, I think, would be better served with an image of a ton of them just looking all frazzled in every direction and, and looking ready to tear somebody apart glowy little fish eyes in the dark and then you can kind of see some of the the clawed ones out front but in looking at their stat block or the image in the monster manual they're about as intimidating as a chihuahua you know yeah they could snap and they could bite uh but ultimately you can yeet one 
Yeah, pretty as far. a powerful adventurer, you're probably going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, their stat block is nothing to to be scared of. They're more an annoyance. They have more in common with the Murlocs for me uh, from World of Warcraft. You know, the... Uh... <laughs> Those dudes. Yeah, that's a great sound clip. That captures the language. But in exploring those areas, whenever I heard that noise, I wasn't like, oh, shit. I was like, uh, not again. <laughs> These little pests. Yeah. <laughs> Their pull range was so big that they would just cross the map to get to you. And you'd just be like, ah, fuck this again. <laughs> I got to fight off three more. Hone it in, Travis. Wrong game. Okay. Anyways, they made a great progression from their original version to the third edition, which, like, the third edition art is actually pretty cool. They're, like, frog-like. Yeah, they give me the animated Hobbit Gollum vibe, like, gangly and long-limbed and fingered and wide-mouthed. Real creepy. I really dug it. Like, it was quite good. And then in fourth edition, they added some, like, anglerfish vibes with that really low, uh, like, big lower jaw that kind of protrudes. Yeah. And they got lots of dangly shit, like kind of creature from the Black Lagoon meets an anglerfish. Yeah. Which is kind of the same, same. <laughs> but we need to we need to fix this problem of, you know, Bob the Kuatoa in the monster manual, <laughs> the very pleasant looking fellow who is actually preparing some wonderful steaks for the barbecue that he's invited you to for next weekend. Yeah. It's he's, a potluck. Yeah, he's making up his famous coleslaw. <laughs> We need to fix this because that Kuatoa is not menacing at all. (laughs) So we need to introduce some cosmic horror. Make it unsettling. Yeah, players should be afraid when they come across Kuatoa. And that's actually a really good thing, I think, because chances are your players have probably flipped through the monster manual. They see the Kuatoa and they are not prepared for what you have dished up in this game of D&D. So imagine, if you will, something a little bit different. The vast underground lake, calm and smooth as glass, mirrors the bioluminescent flora clinging to the ceiling of the massive cave. You find yourself in a village on the shore, homes made of strange pieces from many cultures all glued together into domes. It's eerily calm, seemingly abandoned. Your perceptive nature sees through the ruse, though, as it seems anywhere you move your eyes, you catch only the faintest glimpse of scaly creatures moving. In fact, it seems that there are far more residents than initially apparent, but they have given unrestricted access to their entire village by abandonment. Perhaps they mean you no harm, Certainly, an emissary might come out to greet you, but the stink of rotting meat assaults your senses. Moving through the town reveals a further rocky outcropping looming over the edge of the water. On it, an obelisk stands, intricately carved with indecipherable scrawlings in the image of a many-tentacled creature rising from the depths. In front of it, a rock altar with circular channels still sticky with blood are carved into it, which seem to purposely funnel the blood back and into the lake itself. 
You turn around to see scaly, slimy, anthropoid fish people jumping out, falling, flopping as if in a panic, gathering momentum as they pile up and slide off of one another, screeching a frantic language as they quickly surround you on the outcropping, hoisting jagged rods of metal and wood, readying nets. One squirms out from the pile, shiny jagged metal mocking a crown above its eyes, and stands before you. It raises a gaunt arm, finger outstretched, and starts a chant, bringing their voices into a collective and terrible chorus. The water begins to roil and bubble as long hooked tentacles rise from the dark lake. That's metal as fuck. Yeah, I just like the idea of swarms of these creatures surrounding you suddenly. It's much more intimidating to me than one of them coming out with his tray of hors d'oeuvres <laughs> ready to invite you in. I'm not going to eat that sushi, but yeah. I it's get... fresh. <laughs> well, let's get into how we came about all of this horror in the kinship camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. So let's start things off with a recap of what we know so far about the Kuatoa. Because <laughs> there's still more to be discovered in their stat block. <laughs> yes. Who knows what mysteries we'll find? Exactly. Your creativity is the only limit. Well, their armor class is 13, so they're really... They're not that intimidating. You can hit that. And their hit points are 18, which is, you know, what a round of a group of level one adventurers can probably kill. Well, their challenge rating is one quarter. So they're meant to have numbers. Like, that's that's how they're going to do this thing. Yeah. Their speed is 30 feet. The swim speed is the same. So they get around like anything else. Yeah. And they continue their unremarkability in their stats. So their strength is 13, which is a plus one. Their charisma is eight, which is a minus one. Not even that bad. And everything else is 10 across the board. So completely unremarkable. <laughs> They're a slightly tweaked commoner in that avenue. And they finally break this like really mediocre trend with the only skill that they're good at, which is perception. And they get a plus four to that. And then they also have dark vision and obviously a passive perception of 14. So not bad there. Personally, I would probably beef that number up a little bit more just because, you know, they're used to getting their ass kicked. I think they'd be maybe a little bit more perceptive than that. But they're always distracted. Fair enough. <laughs> That's my argument. <laughs> okay. Well, they are amphibious. They have otherworldly perception. The Kuatoa can sense the presence of any creature within 30 feet that is invisible or on the ethereal plane. It can pinpoint such a creature that is moving. So this is where that perception really gets kicked into high gear. You're not going to surprise Kuatoa. They know you're coming before you've even thought about going. And this feature alone, I think, is what we can really lean into to make them extra unique. Totally. They're also slippery. 
So that's another really great combat advantage is that the Kuatoa has advantage on any ability checks and saving throws made to escape a grapple. And then they also have sunlight sensitivity. So that sucks for them. <laughs> Bummer, dudes. <laughs> Disadvantage on anything, basically, that relies on sight when they're in sunlight. So this is why they kind of prefer underdark yeah. kind of spaces. Cave dwellers. And their actions are kind of fun. They've got a bite, a net, keep you down so they can stab at you or grab you, and a sticky shield. Basically, if you attack them with a weapon... It might stick to their shield and you got to try and pull it off. Otherwise, you're essentially grappled mechanically. And this is great because this is the one thing that Kuatoa are really good at. They can just slap that little board, that sticky board, yeah. <laughs> onto your sword. And now you're effectively, you know, you got to pull out your backup weapon. And they'll stick that one too until you're on your backup of a backup of a backup. <laughs> and I can imagine a, you know, shield wall of those being pretty hard to deal with oh yeah just rolling at you with a sticky shield wall nice little uh you know spartan phalanx yeah or whatever the hell that's called all your buddies are just stuck to it hey sorry you can't <laughs> help anymore <laughs> so this really leans into there there's one it's so it's so passive barely even registers but somewhere in the monster manual it simply says that they would rather take captives I think this is another place that we can really lean into this and we can overwhelm our players. We can throw a shit ton of Kuatoa at them and we can take them captive. It doesn't mean that we're going to end up with a TPK. Yeah. It just means that they're going to end up in a really interesting situation next. And let them go down. Like, don't worry about losing those numbers because I think that adds to their creepiness and the fact that they don't care. They're just going to swarm you. They're they're almost stabbing each other in their <laughs> fervency to get to you. Yes. Yes, I love that. Like, they don't give a shit. Yeah. Oh, it, that's even more horrifying when you're being attacked by a bunch of Kuatoa and then you're seeing them stab and run through each other in the frenzy to get to you. And you're just like, holy shit, <laughs> these guys cannot be reasoned with. Yeah. I'm not going to try and sit down for tea. But speaking of reasoning, we should probably talk about kind of where they come from, the themes and the psychology that are underlying within the Kuatoa that we're going to lean on to make these creatures really good. Mm -hmm. Should we do a little more story time uh, with a sampling from their original source? Ooh, you are going to read a snippet from Lovecraft. Indeed. Let's hear it. And yet I saw them in a limitless stream, flopping, Hopping, croaking, bleeding, surging inhumanly through the spectral moonlight in a grotesque, malignant saraband of fantastic nightmare. And some of them had tall tiaras of that nameless whitish gold metal, and some were strangely robed, and one who led the way was clad in a ghoulishly humped black coat and striped trousers, and had a man's felt hat perched on the shapeless thing that answered for a head. Their forms vaguely suggested the anthropoid while their heads were the heads of fish, with prodigious bulging eyes that never closed. At the sides of their neck were palpitating gills and their long paws were webbed. They hopped irregularly, sometimes on two legs and sometimes on four. I was somehow glad that they had no more than four limbs. Their croaking, baying voices, clearly used for articulate speech, held all the dark shades of expression which their staring faces lacked. Ugh. So as we can see, the Deep Ones are pretty much Kuotoa. Yeah. Except they wear suits. 
They occasionally wear human clothes, <laughs> which so did Kuotoa. Yeah, that could be good, too. We kind of get where Gygax it took some inspiration for sure. And I'd say one of the main themes of the Deep Ones and, you know, Lovecraft himself was the fear of the unknown. That sense that we're teetering on the edge of an unavoidable great upheaval and there's nothing we can do about it. That's like a human fear. Well, it's a very real one that we're all living. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could uh, I could definitely relate to that. Yeah. I think that's why some of the best stories about Deep Ones and Kuatoa and all these kinds of creatures are where they're on the brink of bringing some unimaginable horror into the world through their worship. Well, that's really what the Kuatoa do, is that they bring about new gods just with their worship. Yeah. That's horrifying. That's a horrifying premise. Indeed. And that's why they're so fun. And just like a crazy little band of these misfits can just birth something new into the world? <laughs> Uh-oh, indeed. That gives a single, you know, group of Kuatoa a really interesting flair. What part of their culture would end up making some kind of different god? If you had a leader within their midst that was like, hey, everyone, uh, we're going to share meals. We're going to be really giving and nice. Would they bring about a nice god? I mean, it would probably look horrifying, but would they conjure something <laughs> that was really benevolent? And on the flip side, if you had an absolute cretin in charge and whipped them all up into a frenzy and they were like, yes, we have to bring about whatever... The whole gamut, whatever is a part of that culture, and that's why our culture creator matters so much in this case, whatever that culture is, chances are they'll find a god to match and bring it about into the world. Yeah, exactly. Not even realizing that they're doing it on their own values. <laughs> like, they're just they're just trying to conjure this thing that they believe in so much. Yeah. And I imagine that the religious leaders are, like, the worst of our real-world cult leaders. Like, just manipulative as ever yeah just whipping them up into frenzies at every chance they're all being like gaslit right you know you have one deranged kuatoa who probably is not all that smart like they got a 10 even their even their leaders are, are average at best so you have an inept goon whipping up a whole bunch of his followers into well this sounds familiar <laughs> Well, yeah, because Kuatoa are known for having a very loose grasp on reality, too. Yeah. And there is an actual psychological condition called derealization that I think fits into this pretty well. As Wikipedia describes it, it's an alteration in the perception of the external world, causing sufferers to perceive it as unreal, distant, distorted, or falsified. The experience can be described as an immaterial substance that separates a person from the outside world, such as a sensory fog, pane of glass, or a veil. Wow. That fits so well, because they can see the ethereal plane all the time. Like, they have that amount of perception. So, they're almost in this state at every moment of every day. And to continue, familiar places may look alien, bizarre, and surreal. One may not even be sure whether what one perceives is in fact reality or not. The world as perceived by the individual may feel as if it were going through a dolly zoom effect. Such perceptual abnormalities may extend to the senses of hearing, taste, and smell. It's also heavily related to anxiety and panic attacks. 
And, you know, I think this is so fascinating to me just because I like to know the real world experiences I'm drawing from in the fantasy and horror that I explore. Well, like you said, this is a this is a real psychological disorder. Sufferers from it, I would imagine from what you just described, are very much impacted. Yeah. So imagine if you had an entire group of these people, you know, the Kuatoa are, are living this experience every day all day. And like you mentioned, Travis, I think the tweak that makes this all work beautifully in D&D is that that ethereal plane is always, always in their perception. They're always seeing everything that's happening on that ethereal plane. Because that explains why their experience on the prime material plane is so confusing to them, why their minds are all over the place. And if we add the detail that they can't actually tell the difference between the ethereal plane and the prime material plane. It's just a mess all the time. Well, it's like seeing ghosts, right? Like you're seeing the material, you're seeing the ethereal plane all at the same time in a giant mishmash. You don't know what's up, what's down, what's actually here, what's not. Like that would be buck wild. Yeah. And just to give a little context, if you're unfamiliar, the ethereal plane in D&D is adjacent to the prime material plane, the normal one. And it's got monsters and ghosts aplenty. And it's got that side, but it's also got another side, which is called the deep ethereal. That's kind of just a foggy, endless sea. And I think all of this works so well with all of that cosmic horror and Lovecraft inspiration. I almost want to like conjure up some of the madness rules. Yeah, and I think you could give them all kinds of strange behavior that's actually coming from a place that makes sense to you as the DM. Like you could give them hallucinations from seeing creatures in the ethereal all the time, delusions from those spirits telling them lies, confusion from being erupted by events in the ethereal. Like if some action is popping off right next to them as they're trying to look at you even. <laughs> so they're jumping at stuff that is off camera. Like yeah. they're just freaking out about all kinds of stuff. They're jumpy, they're twitchy. When they're talking to you, they're describing, like they're looking at you and they're describing something totally not you. Yeah. Look at your big bulgy eyes. I love them. And it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> what? What are you seeing? None of that is here. They're looking over your shoulder at the spirit that's telling them to off you. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Yeah. Trying to even communicate. And like, it does say in the monster manual that like, hey, they're unreliable at best. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Like they have no idea what's happening. If, if they were talking to you or the other person for all of their best intentions, they couldn't decipher what is happening. Yeah. And I think this can even explain their capturing of people. They could, you know, take you in and sacrifice you to the deep ethereal. They could literally send you out floating to get lost in its waters, never to return I think that's a cool, you know, twist on the adventure rather than, like you said, Travis, just dying when you get beaten by a group of Kuatoa. All of a sudden now you have to navigate the deep ethereal. Absolutely. That takes a totally different twist. And they could explain it as, you know, this sacrifice adds physical form to the gods that we're bringing about. I love the opportunity to even just be weird. Like you say, they're, they're sacrificing. And this, this is a really common theme within the Deep Ones, within the Kuato, within the D&D lore. Like, they're always, like, grabbing to sacrifice for... Okay, but sacrifice 
on like a weird altar and like stabbing somebody to death and and all of that that's that's one way to sacrifice but if these Kuatoa didn't know what they were doing they would put you in a boat on a deep dark subterranean lake and they'd be like we're sacrificing you go into the ethereal and they just push you out into the water yeah and maybe they even push you through some kind of a you know makeshift Kuatoa portal that takes you to the real <laughs> ethereal oh no i'm saying don't go to the real ethereal i'm saying they just push you adrift and they go we have sacrificed you (laughs) yeah and that's it that's how your players survived (laughs) what would have been a tpk is that they fought and they fell and then they just get pushed out into the lake and the kuatoa think that you're going somewhere but you're you're just (laughs) adrift yeah able to swim back to shore I mean, there's still going to be monsters out there. Don't get me wrong. For sure. (laughs) Or, you know, if they deem you worthy and they don't want to sacrifice you, maybe they perform a little ritual on you that gives you the ability to see into the ethereal like them and not be able to distinguish between the planes like them. Wouldn't that be a nice little curse to throw on your players? Absolutely. And another common thing that pops up in these kinds of tales is the monolith. Yes. Big ass creepy monoliths i just bought the shore on steam to play in vr because that looks like it's gonna mess me up and in some of the trailers all you see is these giant monoliths and then they grow fucking legs and they start walking (laughs) around and that shit is creepy like just seeing that kind of stuff unsettles in a deep seated part of my dark heart I don't like it. But you do like it also. But I do like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so what about monoliths? Well, in my little bit of monolith research, the answer that I liked the most was that they unsettle us because they're alien. They're not a natural structure, and they were built by something intelligent. But if mm. we didn't build them, who did? That's why they unsettle us. Kind of like all those weirdos that think of ancient aliens and the pyramids. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's hard to imagine that something other than humans did it. So then your mind starts to go into weird spaces and places and go, oh shit, well, what the hell did? And so I think if you want to include something like monoliths in your game, keep in mind that you can kind of just plop in something that gives that vibe. It doesn't have to be just a a straight pillar monolith. It can be anything that makes your players say, these Kuatoa could not have built this. So what did? Well, you make it 50 feet high and made it of you know, pure adamantine. Not only is that going to be a real nice lure for the players because they go, holy shit, that's an expensive monolith. (laughs) Yeah. But then they go, it's way too intricate to have been built by these weird, big-eyed, fishy weirdos. And I think if you give details like it looks machine cut almost, then it's it's almost outside of D&D too. It gives a little bit of a creepy vibe in that sense. Yeah. Like no fantasy tool could have made something so precise. Yeah. And going back to that ethereal idea, what if the monoliths in their societies are what give strength to those planes bleeding together? That's kind of the source of that power. Oh, I see. Yeah, so like just being near them. The closer you are to them, the closer the the two planes touch. Yeah, I think that could be cool. Well, what about values? Let's dive into their like cultural values because we usually like to talk about, you know, just some of the stuff that we can build off of. Totally. So I don't think they have a lot of values to work off of, but I think one could be that they're really decisive or instinct driven. 
And I think that they trade empathy for that. So for beings that have a tough time distinguishing reality, when they think they've got it, for at least a split second, they act fast on it <laughs> before it disappears. <laughs> yeah. Like overanalyzing things leads to losing the thread. They don't sit down and have a chat about the best direction. They just trust their gut. And this can lead to, you know, those piles of kuotoa like we we're talking about. But it can also lead to excessive cruelty in all kinds of forms. Ooh, that makes them really menacing. And like, even if you do have someone in the party that speaks their language and you can sit down and you're trying to parlay, like they're just going to stab at you in the middle of the conversation. Well, because they, they, they think something glittery is inside your stomach. So they immediately pull out a jagged little razor and just start slashing because yeah. you were you were having a pleasant conversation, but something <laughs> just tweaked in their brain. And they said, no, I got to get into that dude. Yeah. And I think this could also lead to them latching on to emotions when they pop up. Like if they have a real emotion, they want to feel it to its highest capacity. And if they see one of their buddies have an emotion, they're going to jump on that. And I think that can lead to those, you know, just explosions of groups just getting more and more fervent about their gods or about whatever they're doing. Yeah, I dig it. And another value we could lean into is materialism. Now, this might be kind of a weird one, but I was thinking that their physical possessions might have a very grounding effect for them, you know, living in this ethereal half-in-between state. So they might place great value on them, like their monoliths being the biggest example. They're gifts from their gods that they fervently worship, but individuals could have their own little trinkets and doodads that are extremely valuable. Well, it really kind of functions like Cobb's toy top in Inception. Yes. That's what allows them to know which world they're currently sitting in. And it grounds them. It brings them back to this current moment. So I would give every Kuatoa some trinket or bauble that... They worship kind of like Gollum. Like you could really yeah. role play them kind of like Gollum in that, holy shit, I need this thing in my hands. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my grip on where I am and what I'm doing. Yeah. And if you were to take it from them or they lose it, they just start going off the deep end. Like they, they can't have a conversation anymore. I like that. And the last powerful one that is a part of them for sure is devotion. So their devotion to their religious leaders and gods are what keep them moving and gives them purpose. Again, kind of grounding them, but they go to the extreme, of course. I mean, they're probably led to believe that their gods are much more important than themselves. So they've got very little in their community that doesn't serve this value. Well, they're going to worship at the obelisk 15 times a day, and they are sacrificing almost everything to it. Like, that's why they're so gaunt is that they're, they're hucking their food at it and they're, they're just doing everything they can because they're told that, hey, bringing this new god into the world, whatever it is that your whole group worships, that's paramount to anything that you could possibly do in a day. And if you manage to do something for yourself, that's a bonus. That's a thing on top. <laughs> but your whole day was there just to sacrifice and to worship at this crazy obelisk. Yeah, and kind of drawing from what we've talked about, if they have the instinct or, you know, a spirit from the ethereal tells them to sacrifice their buddy that's praying next to them, they just do it. They just chomp into their friend's neck and throw him on the altar. Whatever. <laughs> Things are wild and fast. Oh, yep. <laughs> that's life in the Kuatoa village. <laughs> yep. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about some of their tools and artifacts and other little details. Well, I think this could be a fun addition to their community. You know, maybe a researcher would refer to them as endless tombs. But uh, I think that Kuatoa would have sensory deprivation tanks that let them experience the ethereal in its full glory. You know, they're not distracted by the senses of the prime material plane. I could see that as the Kuatoa spa. You go away for an hour or two and you come back grounded. Having seen the ethereal plane, you can appreciate it in all its glory. And then you come back just a lot more clear headed and maybe a lot more present. Okay, interesting. I was actually imagining an opposite reaction coming out of the tank. Okay. Like I was imagining them being less grounded, like more spiritual, if you will. Ah, So there, there are more on the other side now. Yeah, but I suppose you could do it either way. Well, I mean, you could do both. They went, they actually met and saw their god in the ethereal plane. They had a good chat. They are now doubled down. In terms of, oh, yes, that guy is the real deal. I really like his tentacles. Uh, We need to bring him into the material plane. He seems like a solid fellow. And then, yeah, comes back to the material plane uh, out of the sensory deprivation tank and is better somehow? (laughs) Refreshed? In their standards? Sharpens their spear and is like, we got to sacrifice some more folks. Yeah. That god makes some very good points with the lack of tentacles <laughs> in the world. Everybody needs tentacles on their face. <laughs> and it could also be, you know, where they toss the captured people as a holding place before a ceremony of some sort. So that you, would suck. Yeah, you could have some of your own ethereal experiences in there. What a great way of keeping someone captive. Like, hey, we actually don't need ropes and bindings. We're just going to send your brain into some (laughs) fuckery. Here you go. Of course, there's got to be like a little eel swimming around in it too. Oh, yeah. You got to throw those little details in there. (laughs) And I had a thought too, based on this concept. In the books, illithids or mind flayers are, you know, they've got some bad blood with the Kuatoa. In Forgotten Realms lore, the illithids had them as servants. And now they're free or something like that. Yeah. But that seems like every relationship between illithids and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so I think pretty one note. <laughs> I think this could be a little more fun if the illithids were just always kind of messing with and manipulating them through the ethereal plane. Oh. Like the illithids are smart enough to be able to get access to that. Sure. Yeah. They're just creeping around in Kuatoan communities. Even if you stuck with the Forgotten Realms lore, I could see the hyperlogical illithids getting so fucking sick of Kuatoan shit because they cannot be given direction yeah like they they're so chaotic that there's just nothing that you can do with them so they're like ah fine we'll just mind flay some folks we'll mind flay humans (laughs) they're a lot more compliant or you know maybe the mind flayers want something in the world so they influence the Kuatoans to conjure up a god for them that's dangerous yeah Oh no, they're like little, they're little like God-making factories. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shit. It's a bad combo. And speaking of gods, I think that's just about the best plot hook that's baked into a monster out there, stopping Kuatoan gods from coming into the world. Oh, hell yeah. They do come with a god they worship. I believe their name is Blip Dool Poop. 
<laughs> say that five times fast. <laughs> I won't say it one time fast. But the fun part, I think, is cobbling together your own towering horror beast god. And, I mean, you already know this, but jam together the most unsettling features of deep sea creatures you can imagine and create your own god. Like a create a god workshop. That's <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> the failed version of the Build-A-Bear yes. that didn't quite get funding. <laughs> and I think mixing the real animal names that you jam together gives you a pretty accurate Kuatoan god name based on Blip Dual Poop. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to demonstrate? Indeed. How about Lobsqueel? <laughs> Lobster, eel, and what's the middle one? Squid. That makes sense. <laughs> Lobsqueel. Or crab shagel. <laughs> works so well, doesn't it? It works great. Or octanglacuda. Octopus. Barracuda. Tang. Anglerfish. Ah. <laughs> octanglacuda. Super easy and super fun. It's very easy, and I can already picture what that god looks like when they start to half-summon it into the material plane and everyone starts shitting their pants because <laughs> Octanglacuda is here. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to make sure that everyone has squid faces. I think that's a pretty good foreshadow, too, now that you mention it. It's like you give the players the name of the god that they're chanting or whatever. If somebody can understand their language, it's like it kind of translates to Octanglacuda. And everyone's like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. And now we're going to move on to Grandma B's schoolhouse to talk about some real-world, factual nature shit that can make the Kuatoa even more gross. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't reached peak grossness yet. <laughs> Folks come here to Grandma B's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. So we've talked a lot about psychological horror so far, but... We've missed the other two types of horror, which are gross-out and unnatural. So now, let's sprinkle some of those kinds of details on top. Now, if you value uh, sensibilities and peace and just general repose... If you don't want your mind to get fucked up, stop listening. <laughs> it's much more succinct. <laughs> then again, these are all real-world things that we're drawing from. Like, this is just the natural world. Yeah. And it's messed up. This is why we don't live under the sea. So, here we go. We're going to start with shark senses. Sharks have very good senses. Sure. Makes sense to me. <laughs> and, uh, no, but they, they actually have an incredible ability. Uh, they, they have these weird glands that are full of jelly right on the tips of their nose. And it's a whole bunch of, like, they just look like pores. But inside are tiny little hairs. And those hairs are disturbed whenever it can feel electrical impulses so fine and so minute that it can feel just the electric energy field of another living creature. And a vast majority of aquatic life has this ability. They can sense electrical fields to some capacity. Sharks are incredibly good at doing so. Well, bastards having senses I've never heard of. So I could very easily imagine that this is where the Kuatoa's incredible sense of getting their surroundings and seeing things moving, not only because they're used to seeing crazy shit all the time, but also just because they can sense the electrical field 
of anyone within that dark vision range. Yeah. So even when you think you're sneaking up on them, if they roll high enough, then they turn their hulking backs around and they know you're there. Kuatoa whips around and looks directly at them. Yeah. And does like the little fishy side eye. (laughs) Doesn't blink, of course. Oh, yeah. No. Well, there's a couple that I'm going to combine here. Fish lay eggs. You know this? Yeah. They lay (laughs) a lot of eggs. Sure. In the thousands. Yeah. Big old clutches. Some of them bring violent ends to many of their offspring. I mean, not that many live to adulthood, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was worried that there was like some fratricide there. I can't say that I haven't thought about it, but. (laughs) There actually is a lot of that going on because barracudas, for example, are cannibalistic. So you see where I'm going with this. Yes. And it's awful. Thousands of them constantly eating each other. No. Neat. Okay, first of all, they're amphibians, they're aquatic, who knows, they're kind of a weird mix. Either way, both amphibians, you know, like frogs, lay huge clutches of eggs. Yeah. Fish do too. Yeah. You've got this, like, I'm thinking almost like a lava rock, and then you've got these dips, these big dips, like pools, like tidal pools, but they're full of eggs. And when those fuckers hatch... They just start consuming each other in a bloody, horrifying mess. Yeah. If my party was anywhere near there when the great birth were to happen. Ooh, I like that. That's that's just the kind of shit that unsettles them and goes, ah, you guys, I know <laughs> Kuatoa didn't seem very intimidating at first. I don't like this. Yeah, well, let's keep walking. Let's find some other uh, weak monsters to fight, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple about frogs. So two recently extinct species of frogs gave live birth out of their mouths. Wrong place. Yeah. Yeah, it was really gross. Uh, Basically, the mother would scoop the eggs up after they'd been fertilized and then would warm them and incubate them in her body. And she would turn off all of her digestive enzymes so that she didn't eat them like they were food. (laughs) Just one swallow is the line. Whoops. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to turn off all the stomach acid, and then I'm just going to hold these babies in my gut until they're ready to come out. And then when they did, they came out her mouth, and she would just go, and out come with a whole bunch of babies. So let's talk about a Kuatoa birthing ritual, huh? Let's talk about a big mama Kuatoa who is... 14 times the size of an average one who just starts regurgitating live young who come out fully walking and talking. (laughs) Spewing out babies. Oh, that's gross. So there's another one, though. (laughs) We're going to go one more level deep Uh, because then there's another type of frog, a grosser frog that has eggs. When it does, it lays them on this like spongy surface on her back. Like her back has these spongy porous surfaces. Oh, yeah. The eggs go in there. And then when they're birthed, they come spewing out like overripe zits. And it is so gross. Do not look up a video on YouTube. I am warning you, please don't. So, again, we're talking about a big Mama Kuatoa who has just, I don't know, a couple dozen. Yeah. Kuatoa babies just come spurting out her back. And of course, nothing about it's natural. Like, this Kuatoa is not walking around normally. No. It's like just writhing and struggling. Yeah. It's oh, all so terrible. gross. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. Well done. 
well, this isn't going to be that shocking after that. But I thought that the fact that some fish have a swim bladder, a lot of fish do, in fact, little pocket organs filled with gases that help them float. Now, that's pretty simple on its own, but if you apply it to the Kuatoa, I imagine them having very poorly placed versions of these, like just ballooning pouches of flesh, or maybe they have them real deep in their bodies so their torso just kind of expands and deflates and leaves lots of loose skin around. Like a frog's throat, except in the wrong spot. Yeah, and if you combine that with some translucent skin, then you're just seeing like, organs bulge out (laughs) oh no just bad well the barrel eye fish has eyes directly inside its body kind of in a similar vein like if you were seeing some of those organs and stuff like that the barrel eye fish has their eyes directly inside their body and they have a translucent outside so that they can just see and the fact that their eyes are inside their body kind of protects them i would assume yeah yeah that'd be pretty good i think There's more weird fish eyes going on in the animal kingdom, like the four-eyed fish, who's got eyes above and below water. What? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so it's actually got two eyes, but each of its eyes have two pupils and retinas in each, with a kind of half-assed lid separating the upper and lower halves so they can have their heads half in the water and see above and below. What the actual shit? And I think that could be fun to, like, just have them having multiple pupils that are just always going different directions. Oh, yeah. And laying in wait by seeing them with just their little eyes poking out of the surface of something. Yeah. And I mentioned uh, barracudas before. And another cool fact about them is that when a predator attacks a battery of barracuda, that's what a group of them is called, the barracuda will form a tornado and prevent the predator from focusing on any one of them. So the Sharknado is not that far off. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just with barracudas that, instead. Sharknado is factual, everyone. It's a documentary. Mm-hmm. And I have an image of a group of adventurers being surrounded by a slimy, stony environment that looks kind of like a beehive. It's got those unsettling holes and pockmarks, with Kuatoa by the hundreds, gibbering and slipping in and out of the walls and outcroppings, aggressively crawling over one another and again suffering those casualties in their fervor to mess around with your head. I dig it. Well, on the focus of where they live and how they live, you know, if you were to take hermit crabs and octopus who tend to cobble together their own little homes and then you mash that together with sea anemones, which make tubes in the soft soil using their own mucus. Ugh you get something like Kuatoa villages being constructed of like found material. From all other societies in the Underdark, you've got drow stuff in there. You've got deep gnome stuff. You've got darrow stuff. It's all kind of mishmashed together along with the flotsam and jetsam that you would get from wrecked ships in the Underdark. And all of it is glued together and cobbled together with their own uh, I would assume it's mucus, whatever's on yeah. those shields. Yeah, exactly. Totally. That's got to come bubbling up from somewhere, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> One of their filth pockets. But then to roll in the sea anemone stuff. So sea anemones actually just suck up into their lone little mucus tubes whenever they're threatened. So if we have all of these little like, I don't know, I'm thinking like coconut husk kind of, you know, domiciles that have been cobbled together with ships, parts, and all kinds of stuff. 
But within each one of those is a tube. And that tube connects to other tubes. And so this entire village is an interconnected series of tubes and chambers underneath oh. that are all flooded. They're all filled with water, which means that the Kuatoa can just disappear. Yeah. And they can all escape into these underwater tunnels and just stay there perfectly happy because they are amphibious. And that means that your adventurers, when they do wander into town and they go, why isn't anyone here? This is kind of weird. Ah, uh, shit. And of course, you're going to have the rogue who wants to go and loot something. <laughs> They're going to see something and go, oh, I want that. And that's when the Kuatoa strike. I like that a lot. That's pretty good. Little ant colony action. And I imagine those tubes as being like greasy intestines. Oh, Like you got to slide down them and they're squishing all around. And Absolutely. And yeah. especially because if they are filled with water, then you wriggle through one and you get into a chamber where there's a little bit of, of a bubble in there. There's a little bit of air. So it almost invites the players to try to get into those places if they had to go after somebody. Yeah. You could have little trap doors all over the place because this place is going to look like junk. It's just rubbish everywhere that they've cobbled together into homes. But one little piece of wood that's laying on the ground is actually covering up another Kuatoa tube. Yeah. And they can be popping out of those all over the place. Yeah. That's cool. Well, and just one more little note about their appearance. I think it could be really cool to give them a gulper eel look mixed with some razor teeth. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you know what I mean. You're going to have to help me out with this one. Sure. So gulper eels, otherwise known as pelican eels, have these terrifying jaws that open up about a third of its way down its body. So picture an eel. Yeah. Whatever you've got, got in mind. Now give it a mouth that just reaches real far down and then make it open, expanding drastically like a pelican, but it's got this very Cheshire cat vibe, Ugh. like the just a thin line of mouth that goes way too far. So you got a moray eel, pelican mouth, with a big-ass toothy, sharp grin. Oh, yeah, you got to fill that mouth with teeth. Okay, no thank you. Yeah. Well, I think we have everything we need. We've got the actual reason because the party needs to get down there before they bring a new god into the world we've got all kinds of role-playing details as to how unpredictable and difficult to hold a goddamn conversation with these kuatoa <laughs> are all the way down to little things like when they actually manage to fight the party they're not going for a tpk they're just going to split the party up a little bit they're gonna put one on the altar and one in the birthing pool Inside one of those tubes, inside one of those deep chambers, <laughs> we're going to have a couple of party members surrounded by a whole bunch of fresh Kuatoa young. Yeah, or NPCs, like this is great for rescue missions. We've got plenty to work with and plenty to gross our players out with and plenty to add horror with. So, I don't know. I feel like we've uh, we've got a better understanding of Kuatoa now. Yeah, I originally just thought of them as swimming goblins. But now I have a much better appreciation for them. I would say we appreciate them almost as much as we appreciate all of our patrons that helped make this episode a reality and have welcomed us back into the new year, into 2022. Yeah, this creepiness wouldn't be possible without them. And we excitedly welcome two new patrons to the list, 
Time Warp, and Nico Y. Thanks for joining us. And also, do not forget, we still appreciate all of you, Zach G. No ma'am. Michelle T. Henantenius. Alan E. Matthew T. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas T. Lila G. The GM Tim. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldros. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all so, so much. Uh, excited to be back. Hope you're enjoying these. And let us know what you want to hear in some of the upcoming episodes for 2022. You can really tell that we were getting pretty good at rattling off the oldies. <laughs> the olds. You know who you are. You can also thank Tabletop Audio for the sound effects, who just added a new Cthulhu soundboard to their offerings. All that stuff that you heard at the beginning, that was all Tabletop Audio. They also have a Patreon where you can download the NP3s because they have the these amazing soundboards, like you said, with the new Cthulhu soundboard. But then they also have curated tracks that you can play during your actual gameplay. But what's really cool is sometimes like they have all of the cool sound effects and then there's some like there's like a musical score underneath there and what's really neat is that if you become a patron you can actually download bonus clips that have the musical track taken out so it's either just music or it's just some of the ambient sound effects and then you can throw your own music over top of it or whatever the hell you want to do it's an amazing patreon so i would highly recommend it customize that shit you can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can also join that awesome community of players and DMs and patrons by joining our Discord. Come and hang out with us and chat about all kinds of D&D nerdery. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. And, and rise, Octangla Kuda, Lob Squeal Crab Shajel. Don't you bring that evil.